Hello, everybody. You've reached Green Room on Air. I'm Ray Renati, your host. This is my podcast. Don't you forget it. If you've been here before, you know that. And if you haven't been here, let me tell you what we do. We talk to people in the world of entertainment. We talk to people in the world of acting, singing, dancing, clowning, harmonica playing, musical theater. Oh my gosh. Improv. Pretty much anything that has to do with entertainment. I love it. I love talking to people from all walks of life. And today we have a very special guest for you. He's a friend, a mentor, and a colleague. A man I've known for a long time who taught me a lot about the craft of acting. And his name is Ed Hooks. Ed worked as a professional actor for 27 years and appeared in dozens of TV shows and movies, including Home Improvement, Perfect Strangers, Full House, The Golden Girls, Quantum Leap, Knott's Landing, St. Elsewhere, The Fall Guy, the great movie Raising Cain, and many, many others. Then after teaching professional acting for 15 years or so, in Los Angeles and the San Francisco Bay Area, Ed was invited in 1996 to teach an acting class for the animators at DreamWorks in Palo Alto, California. They were working on a movie entitled Ants, starring Woody Allen. The second CGI movie ever made, the first was Toy Story. He experimented with ways to teach acting theory specifically to animators, and the result was what today is explained in his book. The textbook for acting and animation. Acting for Animators by Ed Hooks. He's taught thousands of students, the majority of them uh, working pros in studios and schools from Los Angeles to Sydney to Beijing, Singapore, Germany, and India. And many, many more cities around the globe. His Acting for Animators masterclass is now a respected and popular part of the animation industry, and we are so lucky to have him here today in the green room. And before we talk to Ed, let me just tell you, and ask you, and warn you, if you're listening to this podcast, you better tell your friends, because if you don't, I'm going to come and get you. That's right. Nah, I won't do that. But if you enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends, and also give me a five-star rating or a four-star rating, but never a three-star rating, preferably on Apple Podcasts or anywhere. I'll put some links in the notes. Also, if you want to give a buck or two or three to this work of love, this work of the heart called Green Room on Air, I'll put a link there for you, too. Could always use a little bit of dough to do this because it's, I do it all on my own. I spend all my own money. I don't have any advertisers. So any little bit helps. That's right. You can go to the website, greenroomonair.com, and you can reach me there. I'll actually even give you my phone number if you want to leave a message. It's a special phone number, though. The phone number is 650-318-1642. And now, before we speak with Ed, 
Let's listen to a short clip from the TV show, the popular 1980s TV show, The Fall Guy. And in this episode, Ed is playing a Porsche car salesman who runs into some very bad luck. Bet you never felt anything like it. Oh, it's a state of the art. <laughs> yes, sir, I did exactly. State of the art. You know, I've sold every kind of car there is. This car is superior to any of them. One drive and it sells itself. <laughs> Not with a rattle like that in the back. <laughs> oh, I don't hear anything. Are you kidding? There it goes again. So I wanted to talk about your life in acting. Uh, you've been—I mean, basically, your your whole adult life has been uh, devoted to this art, right? Yeah, I've been. Yeah, you know, I I came into it in uh, 1969, and um, I went to New York. You know, I was born in the South, the American South, in uh, Georgia, and. Um, uh, I worked my way north until 1969. I wound up in New York and um, went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and studied with uh, some other some other people. And um, and and that's what what started it. It's been quite a quite a journey. The work I'm doing now is actually like a second career. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I was an actor for almost 30 years, a uh, professional actor. It took me about a year because I didn't have any film on myself. I only had commercials. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the agents, when I went around trying to get an agent in L.A., you know, they wanted to know what I had done on Search for Tomorrow and uh, some of these soap operas and things. And I never had gotten copies of, of any of that stuff. And um, because I was really interested in, I wanted to do stage. That was really, when I came into acting, I didn't care if I ever was in front of a camera. Uh, and I, I wasn't interested in selling things, uh, you know? Uh, I, it's, um, I think if there's a theme to my career, it's been, a resistance to just being valued in dollars and cents. It's um, um, I, 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 for me, the, the acting and theater, all of it is, is the arts and all of it has some, some tribal use, some tribal good. And uh, when I came in, I just wanted to do, uh, you know, death of a salesman and uh, Romeo and Juliet and Julius Caesar and uh, Uncle Vanya. I mean, that really was, uh, that was it. And uh, what happened was there in New York, they, uh, I would go to see an agent and uh, to try to get an audition for a, a, a good stage play. And they would say, uh, well, you know where there's a Pampers commercial that's auditioning and just great for that. And they would send me to a commercial audition. And I, 
I learned how to do commercials and that's how I paid the rent. And uh, then I worked in plays for nothing. You know, they would, you know, we could pay very little to do, uh, to do plays, which is what I really wanted to do. And um, then when I got out to LA, my idea was, okay, I'll go ahead and get myself a TV show and then I'll come back to New York. <laughs> See? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll, be, I'll do the plays I want to do because I'm from television. Um, but as it turned out, I became a, a supporting actor. I was a character actor. So it was always co-star, guest star. And, uh, and I worked steady. I was very uh, lucky to be doing that. But again, I was selling things. Yeah. You know, television shows exist on commercial television in order to deliver the good humor consumers to the commercials. I mean, that's, that's really it. And um, I, I have the kind of face that uh, uh, they like because I'm not, I'm not threatening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I don't upstage the product. And... Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think I remember seeing you on an episode of Family Ties where you were like a principal or a librarian or something. I played principals. And the little girls came in and were like lying to you about stuff. Oh, you know what that was? Full House. Full House. Yes. Full House Mm -hmm. with uh, Bob Saget, who just passed. Yeah. I remember that episode. Yeah. You know what was so funny about that? Those little girls, the um, I forget their their names now. They're grown up women, uh, but they there was two of them. You know, they were twins. Yeah, and they were at that time like oh I don't know five six years old when I did the show, and I had a scene with them, and what they did was um, they didn't learn lines, and it was it was a disconcerting thing to act with them because. You would have a line, you would have a scene, and you'd say, so how's it going? And then the kid would say, what's it to you, Buster? You know, because they were like wisecrackers like that. Right. And and so what would happen, the way they shot this thing was that there was an adult who was standing just off camera. (laughs) And and I I would say to the kid, uh, I would say, so how's it going? And the adult off camera would say, what's it to you, Buster? And then the kid would repeat it. And then in editing, they would cut out the adult. And, uh, and so it appeared to the television audience that the child was, uh, had learned lines and was playing a scene. It was for as an actor, it was totally disconcerting because, <laughs> because you're talking to the kid and the voice is coming from an adult uh, off off to the side. But uh, yeah, that was one of the shows uh, that I did, and um, and uh, it still get uh, residuals for a dollar fifty or whatever. Uh, but I did all those things. I did the um, uh, the fall guy. I did the pilot for Knight Rider. Uh, all those Glenn Larson shows. The, uh, the he was a big producer of those kind of action shows, uh, Magnum PI, and all those things. 
and I was one of his stable um, of uh, actors. And uh, he would be doing something and I would get a call and want to know, are you, I didn't even have to audition most of the time. And um, so it was great. And uh, uh, that's the way it was in Hollywood for all those years. But that's why I started teaching because I didn't find a lot of artistic fulfillment working on those shows. It got to the point where I was acting on shows that I didn't want to watch. And uh, I felt like uh, I could teach acting. And, uh, and that way I could communicate with people about the world and about the art and uh, the craft. And I felt like I was really contributing something. And when I was working on the shows, it, 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 I was successful, but I didn't, I wasn't fulfilled with it. And uh, that's when I started uh, really uh, teaching uh, acting. And, um, and then after a while we moved uh, up to uh, Palo Alto and that's where uh, I met you. Right, right. Yeah. I think I remember reading in one of your books or a newsletter about how you had like a come to Jesus moment about the acting where it was like <laughs> you're doing some other, some stupid commercial or something and you're like, we're in your hotel oh. room or something and you just like fell down I, on the bed and said, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> I did have that. Yeah. I did. I mean, yeah. I, I, there was, a, as a matter of fact, I, I can tell you, this is a, a, a confessional hour here. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was working on um, a show called Crazy Like a Fox. Yes. I, had I a vaguely record, remember that. Yeah, with the Jack Warden. Mm -hmm. And I had, ah. a, I had a regular role on that, on that show. I played a guy who was a forensics uh, expert and Jack Wharton was the uh, a private detective, you know. Yeah. So whenever he needed lab work done, uh, he came to me, and I was his contact over at the police department. I it was the the, the the forensics guy, and so I had all of my scenes were with uh, with with Jack Wharton, which is great. I was very lucky to to be to work with somebody like that. Yes. But. Uh, but we were shooting one day at, uh, on uh, 20th Century Fox and uh, on the lot. We were in one of the sound stages and I had a scene with him and we had shot um, the master shot and we had shot his uh, close-ups and they were going to shoot my close-ups now and they turned the camera around and, you know, set up the lights. They called it a reverse, as you know. Yeah. So they would shoot the reverse. And this was to be the final shot of the day. And after this, everybody was going home. And so I'm standing there. And I sort of went out of my body. And all of a sudden, I was aware of myself being on the soundstage looking at Jack Warden, and I was aware that the soundstage was on the 20th century lot, and I was aware that the lot was in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles was in California, and California was in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And I, I, all of a sudden, I felt like I just didn't have a reason in this world to say these lines uh, that, that, I, that I was supposed to say. And I could hear the director saying, okay, Ed, we're getting ready. Uh, everybody ready? Uh, we're rolling now and sound. All right, Ed, and action. And my mouth began to move and my voice came out and I said the lines. <laughs> but I was mentally... I was in some other country. I, you know, it was, yeah. I, it was, it was an out of body thing. And, um, uh, and they would say, okay, and cut. And the director said, uh, good. It was good. And it was a little tight. He said, let's, let's do it again. And he didn't realize that he was lucky that the sound came out of my voice, my, my yeah. body. Right. And uh, anyway, so we did it one more time. And he said, fine, that's it. Okay, cut. We're done for the day. And I was, I remember I went to the dressing room and I was just uh, soaked. I was, I was uh, perspiring. And that was a come to Jesus moment. I realized that I was working on these shows as by rote. I was I, I was getting too far away from the art, and uh, and I had it had been a while since I'd done a play, and I said to myself, uh, "Kiddo, you need to you need to get back to basics." And uh, the next day, I went to an audition for a play, and I was cast, and it was. Um, a uh, play called Dr. Faustus Lights the Lights by Gertrude Stein. Oh, wow. I won't, I won't forget this. <laughs> and um, uh, it, and uh, it was all about the guy, uh, Tesla. Oh. Uh, it was all about him. And, uh, and I did this uh, play, and I was so afraid on opening night that that experience of the, of the lot at 20th Century Fox was going to repeat itself, that I would just not, but it didn't. Yeah. Once I got out on the stage, I remembered everything. And I realized why I was supposed to be there. Yeah. And that was, you're right. It was a, um, a really important transition for me. Uh, personally, and I became more involved once again with uh, with stage, and I uh, became, uh, I think, a better teacher. And uh, that was, uh, yeah. So that was that. That was that moment. Twentieth Century Fox. Wow. Yeah. I so, think so. This. So we. I mean, as, as everybody, I think all actors at some time or the other have some sort of moment i i agree definitely definitely um i think i'm having kind of one of those right now with uh with covid and the changes that have been going on here oh, in the boy. bay area with theater but um i was curious how did you decide to as a young man to go from the south up to new york city and attend the american yeah. academy of dramatic art you know, it, here's the, the truth of the matter. Here's, 
what it was. When I, I was a, a kid, you know, they say one of the pathway, a, a good psychiatrist is going to tell you that a, a good key to mental health is to stop wishing for a better past. Uh, mm. But it's, <laughs> um, I was, uh, I, I had a very chaotic uh, childhood in, the, in, in Georgia. Uh, we moved a lot. I went to like 16 different schools. And, uh, and uh, so I was always the new kid. I was always not, I wasn't any place long enough to develop real friends and roots and whatnot. And when I was 13 in uh, Atlanta, uh, I got into a school play. And uh, I can't even remember now why it was I got into the school play, but I did. And uh, when I got out on stage, I did my bit. It was an original play, terrible thing, but it was a comedy. And the audience laughed and responded to me. <laughs> and all of a sudden I felt uh, visible in a way that I had not previously felt visible. I, I had been so invisible moving around like that. And all of a sudden, I felt like I had found a place. And that really was the big turning point. I began to get into every kind of play that I could. And, um, and, uh, and then, when we were, um, I was 16, we moved out of Georgia, went up to Washington, D.C. And uh, so I, I finished up my school there in Arlington, Virginia. And then um, uh, while I was there, I was going to the arena stage in Washington and uh, just volunteering, you know, as an usher so I could see plays. Mm -hmm and whatnot and the the house manager at uh, arena stage knew that i wanted to be an actor and he was connected with the summer theater and he put in a word for me and i went off i they put me out of high school actually early i didn't even go to the ceremonies for high school graduation i went off to corning summer theater as an acting apprentice that was what i was Hmm. And, and uh, in that job, uh, I did everything. I helped build sets. I did lights. I did front of the house, back of the house. I was in crowd scenes, and we did big, huge plays, things, uh, musicals like Oklahoma and The Music Man and these things. And, uh, and it was really awesome. But now hear me. <laughs> So I I'm talking there to professional actors and uh, and one of them said he was saying he was going to be on. Um, oh, maybe was it Westinghouse Playhouse or one of these TV shows? I forget the name of them, but it, where they did we did plays, big plays. Yeah. So I told everybody I knew that this guy was going to be on there. And uh, and I said, oh, and I know him, you know, I've met him and he's going to be on the, uh, the, the shows. And um, 
I, I was so excited. It would come time to watch the show. And I did. I turned on the television and uh, and he was there, but he was playing an, an Indian, an American Indian with a headdress in a costume party scene. <laughs> and uh, and he had one line or something like that. And. I and and and, and I it, it, it was I all of a sudden I said what on earth am I doing I can't this is not you this is the way it is when you're a professional actor and and so I got I got out of that for a while and went off and got into the business I got into business and and went into the service the military and it was only when I got to be 24 years old, I got to be 24 and uh, and I was in business now and wearing a, a, a tie every day and uh, going to the office and whatnot. And I had season tickets to the theater. And uh, at that time I was in Baltimore. And I remember the day, I remember the day uh, they had. A, I was watching a road production of Cabaret, and after the show was over, I sat there in the audience. Everybody left. I sat in my seat and watched them as they came out and reset the stage for the next performance. They came out. They had what they call a ghost light, yeah. and they put the ghost light up, and they reset the stage and picked up things and props and set them. And I said to myself, you know, I can always be in business. I need to do what I really long to do. I need to go ahead and do it. And the next day I gave notice at that job. And I went off to New York and auditioned at the American Academy and was accepted there. And that's what started the whole thing. That was 1969. Anyway, that's my story. Wow. That's how I came out of the South. And in a very profound way, the theater acting gave me a kind of an identity um, and a purpose, a reason that I, I didn't have when I was a kid. And I've, I've, I've never regretted it. I, you know, it's a rough life uh, as an actor. Um, but I, I, you know, if it all ended tomorrow, I would not have any regrets over the, uh, the path that I've taken. And now it's been, what are we, it's been, it's been many years. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, I was, uh, it was almost 30 years as a professional actor and teaching and then writing a few books for actors. And then I started right there in Palo Alto. I was asked to uh, teach animators for the first time in 1996, 97, something like that. And they were doing, um, it was a company that had been bought by DreamWorks. And one of the people in the scene study class in Palo Alto worked at that company. I never knew 
what he did in the daytime. You know, you never know what people do. Everybody wants to be a good actor, uh, but you don't know what people do to put food on the table. I remember him. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I was, he put me in one of his short films. I forgot his name. Ken Bielenberg. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Ken Bielenberg. Yeah. And it turns out, it was so funny because as a, as a teacher uh, of acting, it just doesn't come up what people do in the daytime. A lot of actors are waiters, bartenders, Uber drivers, or they're doing whatever they need to do in order to, to, to keep it together, you know, and they want to score, they want to be successful as an actor. And Ken was in that class for a year. And, uh, and uh, I never asked him what he did in the daytime. One night after class, we were walking out to our cars and he said to me, he said, listen, uh, I work for an animation company and uh, we're making a movie. We've never made a movie before. And um, I told him about you and uh, I, we want to know if you'd be willing to come over and do an acting class on site. I said, sure, why not? What did I know? I said, sure. Well, the movie that they were making was called Ants, A-N-T-Z, with uh, Woody Allen. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went in there, I went in there, Ray, yeah. and screwed it up. Because I thought at that time that there was only one way to learn acting. If you wanted to learn about acting, you had to get up and act like we did in scene study. Yeah. And, uh, I went in there with a box of scripts and uh, improvisations and whatnot. And animators, as it turns out, are shy. Half of them, you know, are, are really quite shy. And uh, they, they, they don't want to get up. And if you make them get up, they don't learn anything. And so by the third class or so, half of them wouldn't come to class. And the, um, the, uh, uh, the human resources person took, uh, took me to lunch. <laughs> and I was, I was really embarrassed about this because I, I, I had never had people just leave class. I mean, they were real nice about it. They just were busy. They couldn't get to class, but they weren't learning the lines. They weren't rehearsing. They weren't doing the stuff I was giving them to do. And I was bewildered. And, uh, and so we, they took me to lunch and they said, well, Ken Bielenberg says that you're a good acting teacher and we believe him. And so if you want to uh, uh, keep on here, if you want to try something different uh, or experiment or something, then we'll keep you on the payroll, but you got to stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good motivation. <laughs> you want to keep your job? Change everything. <laughs> I swear to God. And, uh, and so... And so what I did was, number one, that was when I found out that Ken Bielenberg was in charge of, of uh, visual effects uh, for this movie. 
he had a position over there at this company. And the reason he'd been taking the scene study class is because he aspired to direct live action. And that was what he was, that's the reason why he was studying with me. He was learning about acting because he wanted to direct live action. And, uh, and uh, so I got the animators back together in a room and I said to him, I said, okay, listen here. I said, I think I know something about acting, but I clearly don't know anything about animation. And uh, you guys are going to have to show me how you do what you do. And I'm going to have to shut up. I said, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, if I can figure out what you do, then maybe I can come up with some way to communicate to you what I know about acting in a way that will be useful to you. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, but I know that I'm not going to be able to get you to do scenes anymore. So um, they gave me a chair with rollers and I went from animator to animator and sat there with them while they animated that movie and talked to them about what they were doing. And uh, they asked me questions. I asked them questions. And then I had an aha moment. And the aha moment was I figured out the difference between animators and actors. Actors, as you know, work in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, you want to, so actors always have to work on relaxation, on focus, on seeing, hearing, touching. You've got to stay in the moment to be sensitive to the person that you're talking with. Well, animators don't have a, a present moment. They have 24 frames make a second. They have an illusion of a present moment. And I said, ah, so they don't need for their job, for their skill set, they don't need to be taught how to work in front of a live audience. Once I had that revelation, I was able to invent a way to teach acting theory to the animators by showing them clips from movies and getting them to analyze the acting that was going on and showing them where the acting errors were and what worked and what was strong and what was weak. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it worked. And as it turned out, nobody had ever done that before. Nobody from the theater had ever done this. And so after that movie came out, I wrote uh, Acting for Animators. I wrote the book. And uh, that changed my life uh, because almost overnight, I became the go-to guy for acting performance for animation. And uh, it became uh, the, the creative tale that wags my dog. And, and you've uh, traveled all over the world speaking to animators all over and different universities and companies and it's been I, it's yeah. been quite a quite a journey yeah i mean i it's really something i i've now i have a master class um uh, and i have now presented this master class in over 35 countries wow and um 
you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna gasp when I tell you this. But I a couple of years ago, I sat and tried to figure out how many people have been through the master class in all these different countries. And it was upwards of 200,000. Whoa, that's yeah. incredible. Wow. It's basically, I, I'm such a lucky, I, you know, I couldn't plan this. It was all life. Life will come up and just bite you in the butt, man. I, I would not have known enough to pursue what I'm doing. It, it fell on me. And if I can take credit for anything, it's in not saying no. It's, you know, I believe that there's a lesson here for everybody, which is opportunities come past us every day, every day. And we just don't see them probably because we're busy, our minds are someplace else. We don't see them, we let them go. I took it. You wanna teach animators? Sure, go ahead. And then I learned I didn't know what I was doing and I had to figure out a way to do it. And you know how when you have an existing skill set and you can apply it to a new enterprise, it's very exciting mentally, creatively. So I have had the opportunity to work with some of the best artists in the world at major animation studios. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I can't even, I can't emphasize enough. And you're talking to me today, I'm sitting in Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, I mean, this is where the journey is, has taken me. Mm -hmm. uh, animation is becoming more international, uh, much more independent. Uh, Hollywood is losing its, its throat grip on, uh, uh, on the industry. And uh, I'm sitting over here, and this is a very good place to be. I, I'm able to get all around the world, aside from COVID, uh, yeah. you know, we've all got to deal with COVID, but um, I just think that I'm one of the luckiest people uh, to to have the journey that I've had, and um, uh, I'm I, 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 I'm grateful for it every single day. I really am. You know, I I remember when you started this, and. Uh, and, and I've been following you as well, and it's just so remarkable to have watched it. And I remember when I first saw ants, and I, I I'm maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I saw. I, well, every time I've seen that movie, and I've seen it a number of times, I, I see, I feel like I see your hand in there. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 the thing that always gets me is that it it was released around the same times as A Bug's Life. Mm -hmm. Um. And A Bug's Life is sort of the formulaic Disney thing where you have the hero and the, the anti-hero and the the buffoon clown characters. Uh, and, but Ants is, it's actually a moving film and yeah. funny. And one of the things I learned from you, and I'll just make this quick. I, I, lear I learned about 
and it, and it's really informed me a lot about how it's so important that you see an actor get to a how do they get from one place to another either physically or emotionally you know you the audience mm -hmm. needs to see that happening you know it can't sure. just come out of nowhere um and and i see that in ants you know whether mm -hmm. it's through the expressions on the face or yeah how they're trying to affect another character well it, it didn't it, feel formulaic at all it felt like a real human well it was interesting. It's, uh, because i didn't get a a, a credit i didn't get a screen no, credit. i know <laughs> but uh but because i sat there with them while they were animating uh, there was dialogue back and forth, and they would. I remember there was one guy who was uh, doing the Woody Allen ant, and he was said, uh, and he says, "What do you think?" You know, uh, he so he, he the, the Woody Allen ant goes walking off. He's depressed and whatnot, and I told him, I said, uh, he should look back. He should look back. And uh, I and, know exactly which moment you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's and awesome. It, it, he should. He, he, the script said he walks away and he's depressed. And I said that's true, and that's what he's doing. But you need conflict. Yes. And don't make it easy for him to walk away. Yeah. Have him look back. And they did. And that's in there, that type of stuff. So there are these moments in the, yeah. in, in the, in the movie that I have some, some fingerprints on, but I don't have uh, uh, credit, uh, you know, because I, I, I just worked with the animators, you know, when they weren't animating, really. And, um, but uh, I agree with you. I think it was actually a, a, a better movie than Bugs Life. There was a big competition. Uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, here is that uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who runs uh, or did at that time have DreamWorks, uh, you know, he had been head of animation at Disney, and he had a big falling out with uh, Eisner, and uh, he there was there was lawsuits, there was ugly ugly stuff, and. Um, he left and started DreamWorks Animation, and uh, and he put into development Ants, and Pixar had been working on Bugs Life, so there was a similarity there. So there was a, there was a lot of um, ah, competition between uh, the DreamWorks people and the uh, Pixar people to see who could get their movie out first. And uh, Ants got there by, I think it was a week. It, it managed to get uh, uh, released. Uh, Bugs Life, I think, made more money. But I do think that Ants is an underrated uh, movie. It was, it was really quite a, quite, a touching, uh, quite a touching movie. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's it's maybe my favorite animated film. I personally, I know you've worked on a lot of them. What what other films have you uh, had influence on or oh, I, television? I, I've been seeing the, what what happens with me is they'll bring me in to some company, you know, Disney, 
or whatever. And I will, uh, I'll have 35, 40 animators and, uh, and other people now these days, especially with computer graphics. Uh, I try, there's a lot of people who can influence performance, not just animators. Uh, now the, you've got motion capture people, you got all kinds. So in my classes, I tend to work with an entire production team. Uh, people who do modeling, uh, people who do character development. There's, I often have screenwriters in there. And we're trying to get everybody on the same page with uh, acting theory. Um, and um, so the people that I've worked with have made uh, just about every movie you can think of uh, have uh, people who've had my class have have uh, worked on the movie and have done stuff. I get emails all the time from people who say, you know, look at this scene from Harry Potter. I did this movie and I did this wow. scene and we tried and look at what I did. I applied this principle and it worked just. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Gosh, that's so fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So my favorite uh, animated movie uh is uh the the iron giant i love that one too yeah yeah i have I've, the dvd we watched it my kids and i many many times over and over again yeah. when they were younger yeah it's a wonderful one and, and uh, brad bird uh wrote the forward for uh the first edition of uh, acting for animators um and he uh, after that he had me uh uh, he brought me, he let me come in. I, I watched him doing editing on The Incredibles. And uh, it's, um, I, I've just been, <laughs> I've just been very, very lucky. I've also worked with all these video game companies and almost all of them, uh, Ubisoft and Sony and uh, all of them really, uh, EA. And uh, so there's a whole other world there. Mm-hmm. But, that's uh, huge now it's bigger it's bigger than uh film these video yeah. games yeah yeah kind of, kind of confuses me but uh <laughs> what that it's bigger than films yeah yeah i mean I, I these games to me are just but you know i'm old um yeah because i have two young i have a 19 year old son and a 25 and they play a lot of games yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I don't play them. I'd I rather mean, watch movies. <laughs> my 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 speed for uh, games is uh, you know uh, the flight simulators. I like to sometimes like to play with those. Yeah. But the, uh, it's it, when I when I teach at these companies, I have to tell them, look, I'm not a gamer. Right. But when I teach for them, I do study their games. I, I mean, I know what makes them work. I understand. Uh, I understand it. It's it's very. They spend a lot of money. It takes it takes five six years to get a video game uh, uh, up, and their scripts. If you've ever seen a script for one of these things, they're about. Whereas a movie script is 120 pages, roughly. These things will run 500 pages, uh, and uh, and they're incredible. It's, it's so complex what goes into a video game, uh, and uh, because it has to have all of the different 
if, if the player goes this way, then this happens. And if they go that way, something else happens. So all of those contingencies and variables have to be built in and, uh, and justified. Uh, so it's a, a very challenging thing, but they're, it's a, they're good people and they're very, some of the best artists that I've worked with are video game people. It's remarkable what they're able to do. I mean, I took a little bit of computer programming in college. I, I at one time I thought it was going to be my major. Yeah. And I just remember writing programs trying to get a mouse to chase a cat to chase a mouse around a, an imaginary clock would take me weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what what they can do is a absolutely blows my mind. I don't even I can't even fathom how they do all that. No. The amount of code behind all that. And then plus the artwork and then and trying to make it real and it's incredible. Well, there's so many people involved. And, uh, you know, they bring me in, uh, you know, because they're trying. You have two kinds of video games, two, two of them. You know, people play games because they like to play games, by and large. They don't play games in order to really watch the acting. Uh, but there's two kinds of games. There's ones that are like basketball and football and uh, action and war games and shoot em ups. And then there's other ones that are going down the pathway of trying to get the player more emotionally involved. And um, also there's something called cutscenes. they're cinematics. So you'll, the, the player will play along and, and then there, and then all of a sudden you've got what amounts to a little mini movie and within the game, the player watches this and it delivers some information and plot and character, whatnot. And then it goes back again to gameplay. What's happening in video games is that cinematics are slowly going away and they're trying to work the function of cinematics into um, into the gameplay itself. And uh, what this means is that people that are not animators, you got people that do level uh, level design, but they call level design. So you, you accomplish one level of play and then you go to the next level, next level, next level. Mm -hmm. These people now have to learn about acting. Uh, and uh, so it's very it's very complex, but that's what I teach at these companies. That's what I'm dealing with. I'm uh, I'm dealing with a, a pipeline that has distanced the animators from total control of performance. Uh. Uh, so because by the time the animators start uh, their work is after a character has been rigged, what they call rigging. This is where, if you think of the, <coughs> excuse me, if you think of the characters as, as uh, <coughs> oh, excuse me, I'm not sick. I'm just, yeah. uh, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just uh, uh, 77. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you think of the characters as puppets with strings, uh, they the animators don't really start until the characters have those strings put on. And by then, you've already had 
dialogue recorded. You've had mocap sessions. You've had uh, the script has been uh, over done and worked over and worked over. You've got a director that's put his fingerprints all over it. Uh, there's there's probably a dozen artists of different kinds other than animators who have had have been in a position to affect performance. So now the animators get it. And sometimes really all that's left to them, if, a, if the character on screen is not acting well, as you and I would, you know, action, objective, obstacle, if, they, if, they, if the character is not doing this, there's not much the animator can do about it because it's baked in. And uh, so for me, the future is in working with more and diverse artists within the pipeline. And that's where that's where I've been putting so much of my energy and my focus. Uh, Very interesting. Days. I had I had no idea how that worked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a pipeline. Yeah. And uh, you, you know, especially with uh, mocap, you know, performance capture. Um, I tell you, when I started working with game companies, I, I remember one of the first companies I worked with was Valve. They had a kind of game called Half Life, mm -hmm. and um, and back then, you know, it, it was uh, mocap was the way the mocap was sold to the industry was that uh, you could, that uh, anybody could do it. So people, the the animators themselves were putting on the mocap suits and uh, and doing stuff. And uh, it, it wasn't until much later that they actually started with getting with professional actors. Uh, and now, of course, it's, a, it's an income stream for actors. Uh, Mocap is when, when the actors put on the suits that have the, the electrodes on them and it's like yeah. a green screen room. And exactly. Yeah. So, like, I remember that one of the first was Gollum, I think, in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That was a big Andy deal. Circus. Yes. And circus, yeah, it was it was he did Gollum, and uh, that really started it all. He he was uh, he was the first actual actor to get into that, and uh, after after Gollum, everybody wanted to do that. Um, so uh, yeah, and he's still uh, he's still doing it. You know, he did the King Kong. Oh. He does all these, uh, especially monkeys. He does really good monkeys. <laughs> well, he has, he has that physicality where he can crawl around the ground and uh, it looks natural, even though he's a human being. That exactly. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. He, 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 he can do that uh, quadrupedal thing really well. Or yeah. I'm not sure what you would call it. Yeah. Yeah, well, what they do, if you've ever watched them do it, is in a mocap session, they have crutches. And they'll actually, uh, they lean on these two crutches and they and move around. Oh, yes, I've and, seen that. Yeah. And so what they're doing is uh, they've got these sensors all over them. And this, and the, uh, uh, and this picks up, it's, the mocap sessions are delivering data for a computer is what they're really doing. And uh, it, it's a very interesting thing to watch them do it. I've I've uh, I've helped direct a couple of mocap sessions, mm -hmm. and uh, it's very interesting. It's very technical because the the actors have to be aware of movement 
as you know, actors are trained not to be thinking about movement while they're performing. They're thinking about objective, whatnot. But they have to be, for mocap performance, you have to be aware of how your movement is translating into data. And so they, they're, they're acting and also doing that at the same time. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, rub your tummy, pat your head kind of activity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Interesting. Yeah. Um, just a little, a little thing. I there. Do you watch Dexter at all? The TV show. I'm familiar with it. I yeah, don't so watch it regularly. Yeah. They had a new. They had a reboot. Uh, it's called Dexter New Blood, and uh, every episode was great except the last episode. And I don't want to trash anybody here yeah, in the yeah, industry, yeah. but it's just an observation. Uh, a lot of the audience hated the ending because Dexter got killed by his own son for very for I won't, I won't get into the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I know and I learned from you. I know the reason why it didn't work because oh, well. So it, it all was very compressed. This scene happened where his, sh his son shot Dexter and it was kind of like an agreement between them. But it mm -hmm. happened within like a minute, you know, two minutes. And Michael C. Halls, he played the conflict really well. I mean, you could, there was a voiceover where you could hear him say, uh, where he said, uh, for the first time in my life, I felt love. And this was just before his son decided to shoot him. And his whole physicality changed, you know, kind of like Michael Corleone in The Godfather. His eyes yeah. changed, yeah. his body, everything. You could see the conflict change within him. Yeah. But the young actor, I, I hesitate to say this, but I'll say it. I'll probably never meet him or he'll never hear this. Who was his son. None of that went on. So you had... You had this going on with Michael C. Hall who was playing Dexter, wonderful acting, yeah. getting me to the point where I could believe this was going to happen. But the person yeah. shooting him, I didn't see any of that. Yeah. And so it leaves you with this feeling like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, and, uh, and, and the reviews of the show were pretty bad. Um, the idea of it was great, but it just didn't get the, it didn't have the, um, the, the, well, you know what I'm talking about. What would be the well, right well, word? <laughs> it didn't play as a scene. Yeah, it didn't play as a scene because you didn't see the changes happening, the conflict resolution, the the conflict, and then the decision to change. You didn't see it in both characters. Yeah. So it didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, well, probably the younger guy was cast by type. Yeah. And uh, there, there's so many people that don't have training and uh, they sort of learn on their feet. You know, acting is a, one of those things. I think probably because it's uh, every child is a natural actor. You know, we, we are storytelling animals as humans. Mm -hmm. And so people underestimate the complexity of actors' art and craft. Right. Because really good actors like Michael Keyes Hall, uh, make it invisible. When acting is really good, the audience should not see it. They should be swept away. Yes. And therefore, people think that it's easy. I run into this all the time. People think, well, I can do it. All I got to do is be natural. You know? And no, no. 
uh, acting has structure. There's a difference between regular reality and theatrical reality. Yes. And uh, the definition of acting that I use uh, is that acting is behaving believably in pretend circumstances for a theatrical purpose. For a theatrical purpose. And I make a big distinction between regular reality, which happens on the street or at the shopping mall, and theatrical reality, which is compressed in time and space and, uh, and, and tells a story. It's connected with storytelling. Yeah. And that this business of actors who are really good have a sense of communication with the audience. They have a, a direct connection. The audience is not a lurker. The audience is not, this whole business of the fourth wall is really misunderstood. Um, and and uh, it's, uh, I just find for me, one of the biggest challenges I have in teaching acting is that so many people think they already know everything there is to know. And, and they really just, they don't, they don't know what they don't know. And I have to get there. I have to start them, you know, basically crawling before they can uh, run. You know, <laughs> it's, um, it's you, you can't understand the concept of furniture until you first understand table and chair. Right. And so I, I run into this all the time because I'm dealing with people who are very sophisticated artists uh, who really don't understand uh, table and chair yet, but they think they understand furniture. And I have to, I have to, I have to uh, uh, without offending them, I have to get them to go back and to get some of these basics in uh, in in, uh, uh, in in lectures in a master class. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do this. You know what we should do is we should do this again, where we can just talk acting theory. Oh God, I would love to do that with you. That would yeah. be so much fun. I can. I'm up for it. Anytime okay, great. I'm good. Well, we could just sit and talk about what acting is, how to come at it. Yes. Because over the years, I mean, since the last time we worked together, both of us have evolved. Oh, uh, yeah. It's incredible, you know, isn't it? All the, I mean, it doesn't seem very long ago, but... <laughs> yeah, but we can, you continue to grow. Yeah. I don't care how much, how professional you are. I have now, as you, I have now been in this acting world for 50 years. Yeah. 50 years. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, I, I love it. I really do. Anyway, why don't we do that? Let's you and me plan another one of these talks. Yeah. And let's just talk about nothing but acting theory. Let's do that. Let's do that for sure. That I love doing that. It would be a lot of fun. And you know, I wanted to say, and I didn't know this, like I had a similar start like you to, to you. Um, when I really? was in middle school, I was in a play and it was one of these terrible melodramas. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, there were, there, they cast two people in, in the lead and then we switched off. But the other guy had like twice as many performances as me for some reason and he had more rehearsal. So I had to learn a lot of my lines 
without getting to like do the rehearsal on stage much. And then when I I I remember my first night, it was the, the auditorium was full of parents. And I went up there and I had a mustache, one of those Schmedley mustaches, and I didn't know how to put it on, so I used scotch tape. And I was ah. sweating and it came it was coming off. Ah. <laughs> and uh and I got so nervous, I went on and I started one of the scenes out of order. Like I started the third scene where the second scene was supposed oh, to be. And, the other, and I just remember looking out and the seeing the parents just doubled over laughing, like everyone just out of their minds laughing, right? And that has never left me. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, oh my God, look what I can do. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even try. You know, it's like, it was a horrible moment of embarrassment and I'm making people laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah so I had a similar experience to you and, you know, it just never leaves you. It's very similar. You yeah. know, it, 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 there's a, a term in psychology called uh, uh, psychological visibility. And we all aspire to that. You want to be known, you want to be seen and appreciated for the values that you hold. And we present to the world how we want to be perceived. And uh, when you get that kind of feedback that you got, with your mustache falling off and whatnot. <laughs> it was a it was a human contact. And and for the for that moment, you felt visible. And I that's the same thing that I felt when I was 13. The audience was responding to me. You know, you talk to people, people who aspire to act, acting and they, they talk about, well, I, I want to be famous, I want to be a movie. That never, never occurred to me. I never wanted to be famous, but I did really thrill to the visibility, the connection. And that's what you're talking about is you felt human. You felt visible, connected to other people in the tribe. Um, and I, I also felt embarrassed and vulnerable. And they saw it. And amazed. Yeah, uh -huh. every I felt everything, you know, at one time. It was just oh, most, yeah. one of the most incredible moments I've never forgotten. Yeah. Sure. And they yeah. and that audience that was watching you with empathy understood everything that you felt, every nuance. <laughs> right. And that it was all in, out there. <laughs> yes. And that in turn energized you and focused you and gave you a reason for being. Yeah. It's very powerful, extremely yeah. powerful. And everybody everybody wants that. Everybody does want that. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I talked to, becoming an actor is like finding God, you know? It's, uh, it's not something you decide to do. It's not like, I mean, sometimes I get people, you know, they, they'll want to know, do I have what it takes to be an actor? Do I have, they'll ask me this and I usually will tell them, no, I know, I don't think so. And then why? Well, I'm told I'm a good type and my voice is good. And why do you think I don't have it? And I'll say, because you asked me, if you have, if there's anything that I could say to you that would cause you not to do it, you shouldn't do it because it's a hard, a hard way to go. But 
People who are real actors, true actors, don't have an option. You That's know, how it felt to me. Yeah, it's like finding religion. Yeah. And you, it's like you wake up one morning and during the night this happened to you. And, uh, and you realize that you can keep doing all the things in life that you've been doing, but you need to scoot them aside in order to make room for this. The people that I know that are the, so successful in acting uh, are, have this. It, it, they, it wouldn't occur to them not to do it. They don't have any other option. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I, I never thought of like asking somebody if I, I could be an actor. <laughs> it was like, right. I found like, um, you know, after that middle school thing, then I got involved in sports. But then when I, I, I went to college, I started like, just for some reason I had to act. I was doing one man shows at church and acting out the gospel. And I never even thought, am I an actor? Am I not an actor? It was just something I had to do. Uh, and then... Sure. Yeah, it was just like it was just something you need to do. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. And you, you, you've been doing. You've done a lot of directing. Also, I have. I have done a lot of directing. Yeah, I yeah. love directing. Now you're going to be directing a play, possibly, right? Uh, yeah, we are. I've agreed to do a, 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 a Jean Paul Sartre's uh, No Exit, uh, an English language version of it here in uh, Lisbon. Oh, and uh, we're waiting for COVID to settle down. We were going to do it in April, but now we've pushed it back to September uh, because we have this current uh, Omicron uh, breakout. Uh, so, uh, but we will do it. I'm scheduled to do it. And I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, it is a play. Of, it's existential. Yes. The whole thing is existential. Sartre. Yeah, Sergeant. Yeah. Now, now that's a, a three-person play, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. good memory. Yeah, well, I had a friend who was in it here a number of years ago. I didn't get to go because I was in another show during every single performance they were in. So, but um, yeah. So, so, do you have your actors and and all already? We no, I haven't had oh. casting for it yet. No, uh, because the uh, again because of COVID. Yeah, uh, it's uh, but we will uh, because I only want to work with uh, people that have been vaccinated. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, there's it's against the rules to to say that you can't. Oh, yeah, it's a, there's a government stuff, and so we are uh, this theater company called Ja International. Uh, is a, uh, a really good theater company here in Lisbon. And uh, we believe that this stuff will settle down by the fall. So uh, we're planning on, on getting it up in September. Yeah, there's some states in the United States where you can't say that either. I think New York, yeah. uh, you're not allowed to say, I'll only hire vaccinated people. I think it's illegal. It's illegal, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, I, 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 you know... Uh, it's another conversation. Uh, yeah. Everybody's got to, I, I support everybody's right to do whatever they want to do. Uh, but I also have uh, the rights to do what I want to do. And, and I only want to work with vaccinated people. Yeah. <laughs> For your own life. You know, they, uh, <laughs> to continue living. Yes. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I want to I want to do this again. I would love to talk about acting to you with you. That would be so much fun. Please um, do it. I'm serious. Yeah. I think you know you just you know you're one of the good people. I've I've always just had a a, a, a true affection for you and an admiration for the work that you do. You you've been there. You've been steady. You're a talented person. I've watched your work, and uh, it's 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 just such a pleasure to reconnect with you. Likewise, Ed. Likewise, absolutely. Now I got to get uh, you to Lisbon. See, what's that? <laughs> now I got to get you to Lisbon. <laughs> oh man, you know, we were in uh, we this summer we went to Italy and France, and. Uh-huh. Um, I was actually wondering if there was a way I could get over to see you, and I was going to contact you, but then my son dislocated his elbow um, <gasps> while working at his cousin's ski bicycle shop in the Alps. Whoa. Yeah, and uh, my wife and I had left him up there, and we drove down to the south of France to see... Uh, I went. To, I went to a theater festival there that's really similar to the Edinburgh Edinburgh Festival in Scotland, and it's in. It was in Orange, I think, in France, and uh, it's huge. It's just like Edinburgh. And I went. To, I went to go see a play about Pollock there. It was a two-person play. It was wonderful for wow. some people from New York. Um, and then we. And then my son leaves us. Shows sends my wife a picture of him in the hospital so we um got in the car drove back up to the north of france and after that we had our son with us the whole time so i had to like keep my 19 19 year old happy Hmm? is his arm healed okay yeah yeah it's okay yeah they had to uh yank it back into place they they had to actually put him under anesthesia general anesthesia and you have three doctors come in and pool on his arm until it popped oh, back i know <laughs> and he was stuck on the side of a mountain for four hours until the helicopter came my god a trauma oh totally yeah but Whoa. he didn't complain at all he was amazing well next time you're over here yeah uh we, you gotta uh, make it a point you know uh, lisbon is a, a cool place to be oh for sure i really want to i will definitely and we go to europe because my wife's from france so we we go there quite often so i will yeah. do that planet we'll do that. yes all right thanks ed thank you thank it's you been, so much uh, thanks for this opportunity and uh Please let's uh, let you and me uh, with uh, get get it on the on the schedule and do this again and talk about acting. We will, we will, we'll do that. Thank you. All right. When you're